Well, hello and welcome to Ridge Church. Wherever you're watching from, whatever you're doing, we are so glad that you're here. If you don't know me, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Ridge Church. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us online. If you have a Bible, uh, whether it's on your phone or a physical one, if you want to open it up to Hebrews chapter 12, that's where we're going to be camped for a majority of the message today. Um, But yeah, we just want to say welcome, good morning, or good evening if you're watching a little later in the day. I hope that as you sit today uh, that you are at peace and that God feels near and present to you. Uh, we're, We're in this moment, this season, where we're looking at what seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, right? We're looking and starting to hear rumors about when we'll be able to kind of open things back up, when we'll be able to see our friends, see our family, be able to get back to whatever normal might look like. But I want to acknowledge that that ache, that sadness, that frustration and irritation is there. It's a real thing. It's something that's very present. I know I was feeling it extremely heavy this week as we were meeting, continuing to meet on Zoom with our youth ministry. But, but as we go through this, we're also rejoicing to see a better day coming, to see a chance to regather again someday soon. And if you're like me at all, you've kind of been gathering, whether it's in your mind or on paper, if you're a list person, uh, a list of things that you're going to do post-COVID, right? Whatever that has looked like or however that process has gone, you've been gathering this list of things that you're excited to do when you're allowed. And you've got the important things. I know I do, right? I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you're thoughtful, you have the important things. You've got those things at the top of the list. Visit grandma and grandpa. Go visit mom. Give her a big hug, get together for a meal with good friends, sit and pray and worship with your small group. Maybe someday we hope it's coming back and worshiping together in this room where I'm standing right now. I'm excited to be able to give a good friend a hug. Like how great will that feel when that day comes? I just cannot wait. But then again, if you're like me, you've got a little bit more of a selfish list. And Our small group, as we met on Zoom the other day, we were talking a little bit uh, about one of the things that's most popular in so many people's lists for what they want to do after COVID. And I'm a millennial, so of course, it's to travel. It's to go do something special and have an experience and do something amazing that's a memory for a lifetime. And, And traveling or tourism is an incredibly top thing on many people's list. But it, always, it wasn't always that way for me. I never really thought I'd like travel. When Jalisa and I got married, we went on our honeymoon to Mexico to an all-inclusive, which was amazing. We sat on the beach. We read books. We didn't do anything, really. It, we just relaxed. It was the best. And I went, this is my kind of traveling. This is what I want to do when I travel. And then after we got back, Jalisa said, the next time we go on a holiday, we should backpack Thailand. We, we should go take a flight to Thailand We should only bring 30-liter backpacks, and we should just land there and figure it out as we go. We'll get flights, we'll land, we'll we'll just go stay in the city of Bangkok, and we'll just figure it out from there. It'll be fun. I remember thinking, absolutely not. There's no way. We're not going to stay in random guest houses. We're not going to figure out every day whether we stay in that city or go somewhere else. We're not just going to, like, wing it and look at Google Maps every morning when we wake up. But we ended up going. We ended up flying there, and though on the first night I may have sat in the hotel room on the edge of tears, feeling so overwhelmed in a large city and telling my wife, this was a mistake, we should fly home. But after that, we had an amazing, amazing trip. Over the course of 14 days, we backpacked through the country of Thailand, and we went to six or seven 
different locations, different towns and cities, the large cities like Bangkok, but also small towns up in the northern part where there's this amazing culture. We went down and stayed in these tropical islands and it was the Kopipi Islands. It was amazing. And, and we went to all these different places. And, and what was so cool about it is that every day was a new adventure. Whenever we woke up, we decided, do we want to stay here longer or do we want to go somewhere else? Do we want to go to the other side of the country or rent scooters and just drive down the road? Every single day was an absolutely new experience and a new adventure. And it was amazing. But I want to be real. It was a gift, but it wasn't commitment. It was tourism. And there's nothing wrong with tourism per se, but I felt and I continue to feel no sense of loyalty to any of the places or the things we saw and did in Thailand, right? I don't think a lot about those places other than my experiences in them. I don't go, ah, oh, man, I wonder how the economy in the town of Pai in northern Thailand is doing. No, I don't think about those things because I was a tourist there. I went and I experienced the best of what I had to offer, and then I moved on when I was done with it. If we decided something else sounded more interesting, we'd simply pack our bags and go. And that's a beautiful, exciting gift that God gave us. But at the end of the day, it's just tourism. And Eugene Peterson, in his master class on Christian discipleship, a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, writes that this idea of tourism has actually found its way into our hearts as Christians following God. Here's what he writes and what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. Religion in our time has been captured by a tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it's weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bend for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality. We go to hear a new truth, to get a new experience. And somehow we have to expand our humdrum, boring lives. The religious life is now defined as the latest and the newest. Be it Zen, faith healing, human potential, parapsychology, successful living, Armageddon and conspiracy theories. We'll try anything until something new comes along. And I've felt that lately, if I'm honest. In my own walk as a follower and as an apprentice of Jesus, I've felt that tension. I remember just coming up on a year ago now, about, I believe it's this weekend actually, uh, a number of us from our church got to go down to Vancouver at Westside Church and attend a conference put on by Worship Central with amazing worship and conversations and brilliant speakers talking about a theology of worship and the best of the best musicians came together to form this amazing kind of super team for worship and they led and it was amazing and there was thousands of people singing together and I remember a while ago thinking oh why can't I have an experience like that again how, how can I worship when I can't do it like that why can't I just get back to that moment that place where everything felt perfect and everyone in the room was in it together and while that conference and those kind of moments are beautiful and powerful, and there's something that God uses in a really amazing way, the picture that Scripture gives us of the Christian faith is not just that. It's not tourism where we just like what we like and move on from it when it inconveniences us. It's not just, yeah, I like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. The Christian faith is not a buffet for you to dine out on. The Christian faith is deeper and more rooted than tourism. Here's how Hebrews 12, 1 puts it if you're reading along 
in your Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which is referring to all the heroes of the faith that we've, we would have just read about in Hebrews chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Here's the key part. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, my friends, we are not tourists, but we're pilgrims. And that word might seem a little foreign and strange, but here's the thing. Tourists are just seeking pleasure. They're just seeking what feels good to me right now. What's convenient for me right now? What do I feel like eating right now? What do I feel like considering right now? Pilgrims are seeking after a destination. They're on a road for a purpose. And that is what the Christian life is. In Christ, we have been set in motion with reason and intentionality to go somewhere. And that's what we want to consider today. We're in a series all about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've come to this one on faithfulness. And I'm so excited to dive into this topic because faithfulness, which is something that though many of us couldn't really put our finger on or define, is something we care about. Even though many of us couldn't explain it at a very deep level or a very theological level, faithfulness matters to us, right? Over the last number of weeks and months, and I would say even years, I have seen and heard the stories of outrage and anger and hurt and disillusionment as we've seen particularly Christian leaders who are very well known turn out to have been hypocritical and have compromised the very things they preach from a stage. It is heartbreaking. It is sad. And one after the next, it seems like there's these fall from these pedestals and they reveal deep layers of hypocrisy and of compromise. And it stirs up a mix of something, right? And if you felt this hurt, you know what I'm talking about. This mix of burning anger at how that could happen, but also this mix of sadness and brokenness about why did that happen. The best description comes out of the Psalms when the psalmist writes that God is near to the crushed in spirit. And I don't think there's any better way to describe that feeling, right? To be crushed in spirit, filled with a sense of anger and frustration, but also sadness and an unsurety of what to even do about it. And that's what we want to talk about today. Because maybe for you, it's not celebrity pastors or celebrity Christians that bothers you. Maybe it's a lack of faithfulness that you see in your own world. Maybe you've had a friend or a relationship where you've trusted someone with something and they've used it to hurt you. Where you've revealed something about your story that's been personal and intimate and it's been used or held over your head in a way that's not fair and not kind and not loving, that's forced you to go, I can't trust people as my friends because that friend was not faithful. Maybe it's in your marriage. And unfaithfulness in marriage is so much more than just sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. If it's lying, if it's hiding things, if it's issues with money or whatever it may be, unfaithfulness, maybe in your marriage, you just don't feel that you can trust your spouse. And there's this tension there that you don't know what to do with. Maybe it's your job where you've watched someone operate with no integrity at all. That they have absolutely no trust. That they'll run over anyone to get to the top. And you're so frustrated because as you look at it, you go, it's not fair. Why are they able to get there when they're so not faithful to what's right? And why is this? Why does unfaithfulness bother us so much? Why does it make us so mad when we hear that someone has cheated on their spouse? Why does it make us so mad when we found out that someone has been lying or been hypocritical with their words and their action? Why does it bother us so much? Because hypocrisy destroys trust. 
Because when someone says something but does something that doesn't line up, it makes us angry and it makes us sad. It crushes our spirit. And why? Because biblically, trust is intimately connected with faithfulness. They're so deeply connected. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's the same word. It's amet. It's this word that's used over 600 times in the Old Testament, and it's translated a number of different English words. Faithful, steadfast, loyal, truthful, trustworthy, reliable, and so many others. In the New Testament, it's pistis, and and that's the Greek translation of the word, and it occurs another 329 times, and so it's the same kind of definition. It's this word that's so kind of big and large that one English word can't capture the entire nuance of it. This concept, it captures so many aspects of what matters to us at a core human level, and it comes up over a thousand times in the Library of Scripture. And if something comes up over a thousand times in the library of Scripture, you can bet that it is incredibly important. It says that Abraham trusted. Abraham was faithful and believed that God would fulfill his promises. In the Psalms, we hear how God is our rock and our refuge and that he is a met. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is loyal. He is steadfast. It's such a large and important word, but no one English word captures it. And so we have all these different words that try to capture certain angles of it and pieces of it, but it matters deeply. It matters deeply because it's one of the overarching themes of the entire narrative of the Bible. But while just about anyone who follows Jesus knows the word faith and uses the word faith a ton, if I sat down with you across from a table or if you sat down with me, we asked each other, what does faith mean? Would we have the same answer? Would we have any answer? Would we talk about a leap of faith? Would we talk about, you just have to keep the faith? Would we talk about, is that person in the faith? We just kind of use it as kind of a catch-all word. And it's a perfect example of something called Christianese. And if you've been around the church for a while, you know what Christianese is. It's these words and phrases that we've heard so often, and they've become so comfortable that we use them sometimes without even realizing or thinking about what they mean. We use things like live and let God, or we pray for a hedge of protection, which is biblical, but also like a hedge, right? We use these words that don't really make sense unless you've already been a part of it. And oftentimes they come not just from laziness, not not just from being weird or awkward or a Christian subculture, though that's sometimes a part of it, but sometimes there's concepts like the idea of a met, faithfulness, that seems so big and so broad that it seems like the best thing to do is kind of take the lowest common denominator and just flatten it out so it's easier to understand. And while none of the phrases like you just have to keep faith or take a leap of faith or any of those things, none of those are necessarily wrong. They don't really capture what faith is, do they? What they do is they allow us to remain at a surface level in our faith. We use the word faith without realizing what it means. And what it allows us to do is follow Jesus by just having some cliche answers, right? But what I want to challenge you with today is the reality of this. Following Jesus is not about knowing the Christian stuff to say. Our call to apprentice ourselves to Jesus our King is not about having Christian answers to things and knowing Christian phrases to say. We've all been there in small group, right? The question comes up and it's like, well, I know the answer. I know the right phrase to say, well, you have to have faith. Oh, you have to pray about, you have to trust 
in Jesus. And those things are all right, but at the end of the day, we kind of feel this hollow echo of we're just repeating cliches that we've heard over and over again, but in the real feet on the ground reality of life, something just doesn't line up. We know the right things to say, we know the right things to think, but it's not lining up with our reality and how we walk in day to day. Following Jesus is about more than knowing Christian stuff to say. We need to capture that. And I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. describes this reality so beautifully. There has to be a center piece to our faith. And here's what it is. Christianity has no meaning whatsoever devoid of Christ, he writes. The noble principles of Christianity as a faith remain abstract. They're just abstract ideas until they are personified in a person named Christ. Christ must become, this is key, the pivotal point around which everything in the Christian faith revolves. Jesus has to be the center. Everything has to come back to Jesus. Not ideas about Jesus, not conversations about Jesus, not a book you read about Jesus, not some thoughts you had about Jesus, but who Jesus really is. Not theological positions, not worship preferences about how loud you like the volume or what instruments or what songs. Or Jesus himself is the core and the center of every single piece of our faith. Again, in Hebrews 12, the author carries on with what it means to be a pilgrim, a follower of Jesus, on a path, in a direction. Talks about what this means, that Jesus is the center. Here's what he writes, starting again from Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you are familiar with Hebrews, you know that 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 passage, those verses come right after Hebrews 11, which is often called the hall of faith. And it's the stories of these incredible men and women who followed God and believed God, and as Hebrews 11 talks about, were faithful in what God had given them. They had faith in God and his promises. Stories of men and women who had that amet, that deep trust, that deep faith, that deep loyalty to Yahweh, who should be celebrated and learned from. But Hebrews 12, these first couple verses show us that who do we look to? We can learn from, we can admire, we can think well of people like David and Moses and Elijah and so many others. But the center of our faith has to be Jesus. Or otherwise, it just remains a collection, as Dr. Martin Luther King says, of abstract ideas where we're just talking about it, where we're just thinking about some things, where we just have the right theology, but it doesn't actually have any impact on our lives. Jesus has to be the center of everything. Jesus' faithfulness is what allows us to be faithful. Everything has to flow from that. Faith, then, is actually something that has a flow, a rhythm a pattern, an order, if you will. Because faith can't simply come from us. Jesus, if he is the author of faith, plays a pivotal role in our faith as Christians. And so what I want to quickly do is look at the flow of faith in the narrative of Scripture as we see it in the pattern of God. And firstly, it's that the Father is faithful. All throughout the Old Testament, we see story after story of God's 
faithfulness, of his trustworthiness, of his reliability, of his loyalty, of his kindness to his people. In Exodus 34 on Mount Sinai, when God is interacting with Moses, he describes himself. He describes his characteristics and here's what he says about himself. Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is how God describes himself. And the story of the Old Testament, starting from Genesis all the way through the prophets, all the way through the narratives of the king, of the kingdom of Israel, of God's people, all the way through is a story of God's faithfulness again and again and again and again. But in the gospels, in the New Testament, we see the next step of the journey of faith in scripture. We see that Jesus is the image of perfect faith. Jesus is the picture of what faith was meant to be. While we see stories of people like Abraham and David and Moses who had faith, who were faithful, we see that none of them were perfect. None of them could be God's perfect, righteous one. None of them could fulfill the role of Messiah. But in Jesus, we see the perfect image of the invisible God. And that's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. Jesus is the author and perfecter of true faith. In the cross, in the resurrection, and in the life that Jesus lived, we see what perfect faith looks like. And finally, through the rest of the New Testament, through the epistles, through the letters of Paul, through the letter uh, from John and Peter, those letters talk about what God's people claim as the faith given by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God fills God's people with faith. And that's what we talk about when we talk about of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life will produce faithfulness. But we need to see it's a flow. It's a rhythm. It's a progress. Faith must start with God, not me. If I get this order wrong, if you get this order wrong, you will burn out, you'll be frustrated, and you will crash in your faith before you know it. As with all the other fruit of the Spirit and with any fruit, in the Christian life. It depends not just on you, not through willpower, not through working hard enough, but through abiding in Christ, as Jesus speaks of in John 15, or in Hebrews 12, who looking to the author and perfecter of our faith in Jesus. Not ourselves, not anyone, not anything else. And you might be thinking, Dan, I don't, I don't need all this theology. I don't need to hear about all the nuance of this idea of faith. I just want it to be simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make me think too hard. And I, I want to just say, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed or stressed out by this. I don't feel like you need to be a seminary student or a theology buff or anything like that. Trust me, I am not asking you to be any of those things. But what I do want to put forward to you today is that if you don't understand what faith means, it'll be really hard to keep it. If you don't understand what faith means and the direction by with faith, Faith flows from God through Jesus to us. You will be frustrated because you won't be able to live faithful to Christ. And in our world of tourism, the world is desperate for what real faithfulness looks like. It is desperate for it. In a world of credit cards and on-demand video, in a world where the average marriage lasts eight years, because if I get tired of a person or if they offend me or if they frustrate me, guess what? I'll just go find someone else. In a world where people stay in a job or a city for an average of four years because the second I can get more money, I'm gone. 
The second I find a church I like better, I'm gone. The second someone offends me, I'm gone. The second someone steps on my toes or says something I don't agree with, I'm out of here. This is a reality of our age called pragmatic selfishness, as one pastor put it. We are experts in getting at what we want, and we don't care who it costs to get there. I don't care who it hurts. I need to be happy. And then we call it self-care. And I'm not attacking self-care. I think self-care is a great thing. But here's the deal. We make excuses and we're selfish. And what it leads us to do is take this word, this idea, this deep, important theme of all of Scripture that is faith, and we flatten it out to the lowest common denominator. And what it leaves us with is a faith that's weak and hypocritical and lazy and allows us to compromise while justifying it all. No one decides to wake up one day and cheat on their spouse. No one decides to abandon their faith or steal from a company. I I think it's little compromises that set us on a trajectory towards that. I think it's waking up little by little, day by day, becoming more and more numb to our sin, numb to our selfishness, numb to the ways we're not listening to or obeying the voice of Jesus in our lives. Revelation 2 talks about this when the Spirit of God is speaking to a church. And here's what it says to one of the churches about what they had allowed to happen and how it was actually going to harm them in the long run. Here's what it says, Revelation 2, verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. That's encouraging, right? There's lots of good stuff happening in this church. But verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my service to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. See, the problem wasn't that they were actively sinning or doing something wrong. It's that they were okay with that unfaithfulness. It's that they were saying, that's no big deal. That's not too big a compromise. It's just a little, it's just an inconvenience. It's just a side thing. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to stress about that. Oh, it's just a little bit of sin. It's just a little bit of heresy. It's just a little bit of blasphemy. But here's the reality. Unfaithfulness that is tolerated tends to grow into sin that's ignored. Unfaithfulness that is tolerated grows into sin that is ignored. And so if we want to be faithful to our word, we need to understand what faith is and what it isn't. It is not a one-time action. There is a beautiful moment in the life of every believer where they put their faith in Jesus. And that is where we receive the gift of grace. We are forever saved by what God has done for us. This is called justification in theological terms. It is a beautiful moment, but it is not all that faith is. It's not just a special moment. It's not the warm, fuzzy feeling you get at the conference. It's not the warm, fuzzy feeling you get when everything's okay and God feels near. Faith is not an emotion. Faith must be deeper than emotion. Emotions come and go. There's days where I'm sad and it passes. There are days where I'm really happy and that passes too. Faith has to be more deeply rooted than that. We can't put our faith in anything besides God because nothing else can be perfectly faithful the way that Jesus is to us. Nothing else can be faithful in the way that we need it to be. One of the classic youth ministry illustrations when talking about faith is faith in a chair, right? So you put a chair out and you say, okay, that chair, I I believe I can sit in it, but faith is to actually sit down and trust that it's going to hold me which is a beautiful picture, right? 
I, I was with my small group before the second shutdown. We were meeting uh, in our building and, and visiting, you know, very socially distant, all that kind of thing. And, and we were meeting, and there was this moment where I walked over to a chair and very confidently, because it was a chair, sat down. I had faith in that chair. But the second I sat down, the second my um, bum touched that seat, that chair collapsed under me, and my whole group got to watch me drop to the ground because that chair was not strong enough to hold me up. It doesn't matter how much faith you have if your faith is in the wrong thing. I had amazing faith in that chair. I went over there. I didn't even think about it. I was so faithful that I just sat in that chair without even thinking. I didn't check it. I didn't check the legs. I was faithful. But guess what? If that chair is not faithful, it doesn't matter that I have faith in it. What matters is what we put our faith in. And only Jesus is the perfect picture of faithfulness. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God come to man. He is the incarnate Son of God. As Eugene Peterson describes in the message translation in John chapter 1, God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He is the presence of God with us. He is Emmanuel. So don't put the weight on, of your faith on anything besides Jesus. Not on your spouse and family. I'm sure that your husband or wife or your kids are amazing. I'm sure that they're great, but I promise you this, they cannot bear the weight of your entire faith. They cannot bear the weight of your soul. They cannot bear the weight of your sin and your struggle and your brokenness. They love you and they will walk alongside you as faithful people who care, but they cannot bear the full weight. Only Jesus can do that. Please don't put the weight of your faith on us as leaders. I, I want to speak really candidly for Jonathan and myself and the rest of our team here. We love you. We desire that you would follow Jesus. We're thankful for the trust you place in us in, as leaders. We are not perfect. We are human beings who struggle and sin and blow it. And yes, we are leaders and we seek to live as an example to you so that we, like Paul, can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But please put your faith in Jesus, not me. Put your faith in Christ, not our staff. Put your faith in Jesus' word, not my sermon. Put your faith in Jesus. And finally, and I think this is really important in our culture and in our world, particularly in the church right now with so much amazing content out there, put your faith in Jesus, not a celebrity. I mentioned it earlier. If your faith is built around your favorite celebrity pastor, this last couple of weeks could have been really crushing for you. The news, if you've read it, about Ravi Zacharias is heartbreaking. It's caused a sense of being crushed in spirit. It's frustrating and angering and saddening, and it should bother us a ton. But I, I don't have my faith connected to that. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in who God is, not who a celebrity who talks about God is. And we can learn from, and we can grow, and we can listen to podcasts, and we can watch sermons. That's amazing. But let your faith be in Jesus, not somebody else. Nobody can bear that weight. Because when our faith is in something that isn't perfect, it becomes easy to compromise. If your faith is in your spouse, what if they let you down? Well, she spoke rudely to me, so I'm going to withhold affection from her. Well, she was unkind to me, so maybe I will look at that on the internet. Or if it's in something else, well, everyone else at work, do you know what they do to cheat on their taxes? I just cheat a little bit. 
I just claimed Serb even though I wasn't allowed. But everybody was doing that. It's not that big of a deal. I'm way better than that person. I'm not nearly as messed up as them. Well, well I could never do something like that. What, what they did is too evil, too awful, too messed up. What I'm doing, it's just a little sin. It, it's just a little bit of unfaithfulness. It's just a little bit of playing around with what's dangerous. We have to reclaim faithfulness as the people of God. If you are a follower of Jesus today, the task of faithfulness lies with you because the world watches and they are calling out the hypocrisy of the church. They are calling out when we say one thing and do another. Hypocrisy destroys trust. And we as Christians bear the responsibility of being faithful to God. Not perfect, that's Jesus' job, but faithful to God. And we have lost the relational or moral authority to speak into the world and share the gospel. We're going to show you an image on the screen here. It is the compromise that leads a group of men to put on suits and say that Jesus saves, to claim theology about the Imago Dei, that people are made in the image of God, and then say that someone based on their skin color is not as valuable. It is that kind of compromise that has lost us, our ability to share the gospel with the world. This is disgusting and messed up. This should break our hearts. Don't be numb to this. To proclaim that Jesus saves and then do something so anti, anti-Jesus, anti-love, anti-gospel, it should bother us. It should frustrate us. We lose our ability to speak into the world when we lose our faithfulness. My friends, we have to reclaim what it means to be faithful to Jesus, to him and to his words. We must remain faithful. If you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German a philosopher, a German theologian, and a German pastor. And, and during the time in the 1930s of the, the rise of the Nazi regime, regime, he started a seminary where he wanted to train and raise up pastors who would not give in to the pressures of their culture. He, he wanted to pour into pastors because he felt like what was happening in the culture around him spooked him out. And he said, we need pastors who are ready to stand firm in the midst of this. We need Christians who are ready to stand firm in the midst of this. And a friend came to him. And a friend came to him at this place, which is called Finkenwald, which is an amazing, amazing name for a school. And, and he came to talk to him about settling down and not being so intense. Your, your spirituality is fine, but you're taking it a little too far. It's okay to believe in God, but like, let's not get crazy about it. It's okay to follow God, but like, let's not be all like, let's not have it be everything we're thinking about. This is a little over the top, don't you think? To live in a specific community with Christians, to study the word of God together every single day, to be committed that we're going to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter what it costs us. Don't you think that's a little much? And Bonhoeffer takes this friend up on the, the hill and he looks over, and, and the seminary is on one side, and, and on the other side of the river is a camp where Hitler youth are being trained to be Nazi soldiers. And he looks at his friend, and he says, this must be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. We need faithfulness. We need faithfulness to Jesus, because this must be stronger than that. We live in a culture of temporal things, we live in a culture that says, if you don't like it, throw it away and get a new one. 
whether that's people, whether that's a job, whether that's a church, whether that's a community, whether that's a friendship. We need faithfulness in this moment. And I think we need faithfulness to four things in particular that I just really want to quickly list for you to consider and think about in your own life, in your own world. Firstly, we need faithfulness to God's word. There's lots of conversation. There's lots of talk about what is the Bible and how is it written. And, and I, I get it. It's big. It's confusing. It, it can be overwhelming to read at times. But, but here's the deal. I don't know that there's any work of literature that has the power to change like the Bible does. When I read the words of Jesus, when I read the compelling emotional poetry of the Psalms, when I see the wisdom of the Proverbs, when I read the epistles of Paul and Peter and John and see there's power in the Word of God, and we have to remain faithful to it. And I'm not talking about, I read my Bible for 15 minutes because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm talking about an all-out commitment to read the Word of God and submit myself to it. And I know that sounds hard on modern ears, but I think we need to commit ourselves to be faithful to the word of God. Secondly, I think we need to be faithful in covenant relationship. And marriage is the common one, but in a number of relationships. It takes time and energy and effort and commitment. A, a crock pot makes a better dinner than a microwave. The other uh, week, Jaleesa made this incredible short rib in the crock pot. She put it in the morning, and then eight hours later came out this amazing, beautiful, she made a pasta sauce out of it. It was incredible, one of the best meals I think I've ever eaten in the time that we've been married. And, and, and like it was so, so good because it had eight hours to build and mold and that kind of thing. But if, I, if we just put the short rib in the microwave for a minute, sure, it'd be cooked. You could eat it, but it wouldn't have that depth of flavor. Relationships require time to develop. And that time is going to require faithfulness. Because in your marriage or in your friendships or in your community or in your small group or in your whatever circle it may be, people will offend you, people will hurt you, people will let you down because they are not Jesus, they are not perfect. But we have to be stubbornly committed in covenant relationship. We have to be faithful to one another as believers and for those who are not. Thirdly, we must be faithful even when it costs us. Costly loyalty. Right now, we live in a country that is beautifully free. We're allowed to worship. We're allowed to pray. I'm allowed to have on my social media that I'm a Christian. I'm allowed to post Bible verses on there. No one's going to hunt me down. No one's going to be angry at me for that. No one's going to say I'm not allowed to believe what I believe. But in little ways... We have to be okay with the fact that we might suffer for our faith. And I don't know what it looks like, and I, and I don't know what it means. And, and what I don't mean is that every time someone offends us, we cry Christian persecution. Because if you've ever talked to someone in a persecuted country, you realize that what we are facing, while there are major concerns, is not Christian persecution in many, many ways. What we need to be willing to do is be costly loyalty, loyal to Jesus. To be more loyal to Jesus than what our coworkers think about us. To be more loyal to God than what our family or friends or whatever it may be would think of us. We have to be willing to follow Jesus regardless of the cost. Take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. In our country, in our time, it's been relatively easy to do that. But we must be willing to whatever the stakes may be. And finally, ethical steadfastness. The Bible calls us, and this is connected to the first one, 
to have biblical ethics in a number of different things, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But, but very quickly, if we start to lose our belief and our trust in the ethics that Jesus himself teaches, we lose our faith because, well, we just go any which way. We must be steadfast in our belief. And what I don't mean is to be pharisaical or legalistic or unkind or rude. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being strongly willing to follow Jesus. What I'm talking about is what Jesus was able to do, where he did not bend, he did not change his beliefs, he did not compromise when people pushed him, but those who were far from God wanted to be around him. That is what I'm talking about. And those are just some of the areas. And I realize like that a lot of that might seem really heavy to you. I feel like it might be overwhelming, and maybe what you're feeling right now is I can't possibly that I, I can't possibly be faithful. That just feels like pressure and, and stress, and, and I don't know how I could ever get there. But I just want to remind you of the order of faith one more time. It begins with God. Remember what God says about himself all the way back in Exodus on top of Mount Sinai. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness begins with God, not you. And then it comes to its fullness in Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. In another place in Hebrews, here's what the author says. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. Verse 6, Christ was faithful as the Son of over his household. The fullness of faith is found in Jesus and then it finds its extension in the gift of salvation that God's get. Ephesians 2.8, 2, 2, 8, which Jonathan referenced a couple weeks ago, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We are the final step in the process. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. You can be faithful because Jesus has been faithful to you. So my friends, my encouragement to you today is as you seek to follow Jesus with all the tension and all the struggle and all the pressure that there might feel in this moment in our history and in our culture, what I want to encourage you is do not give up. Do not give up. Why? Not because you can do it on your own, but because Jesus won't give up on you. Jesus won't give up on you. There's a beautiful passage in 2 Timothy where Paul captures the beautiful promise of the gospel that we cling to, and then we're going to close. But I just want to read this. And, and, and for those of you who are maybe feeling pressure or stress or tension here, I just want to encourage you to allow these words, this kindness of Jesus to wash over you. 2 Timothy 2, here's what it says. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But listen to verse 13, the beautiful promise of the gospel. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. When you and I are faithless, when we blow it, when we mess everything up, when we compromise, when we slip up, when we sin against God and others, Jesus remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Remember Exodus 34, it's part of who God is to be faithful.
And as we close, I want to cling to that truth together. Today, we have the really special joy of celebrating a baptism, a moment where someone is choosing to declare their faith, to declare that they have placed their faith in Jesus and in view of Jesus' faithfulness to them, they want to be faithful to Christ for the rest of their lives. And I can't wait to watch that with all of you, but we're also celebrating communion. So if you need to get your elements, go grab those right now. In Hebrews 12, where we've been looking a little bit at today, where, where we've been, it tells us to look to Jesus, but I love the way the author continues, and I think it's important as we celebrate communion and remember that all of the fruit, all of the faithfulness that we're seeking after, that we're trying to lean into, does not come from us. It comes from Jesus. Here's where the author continues, and I'm going to read again from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. My friends, today we consider that Jesus himself endured the hostility on our behalf. He endured the cross. He endured the crucifixion. He endured the pain and the death. He endured the suffering and he remained faithful through it all. We can be faithful because Jesus is faithful to us. As Tim Keller puts it, it is not the strength, but the object of your faith which saves you. The strength of your faith today, whether it feels weak or strong, is not what saves you. The object of your faith, and that is Jesus does. Jesus is not the chair I sat on at community group. He is the Lord who took our place on the cross. And so we can put our faith in him. And so as we come to the table, we remember that. We remember not that we are good, not that we are Christian, not that we need to do right or think right or be right, but we remember that Jesus suffered on our behalf in the body and in the blood. We celebrate Christ's faithfulness to us. And so right now, I just want to invite you as we head into communion, and this is a biblical practice, I want to invite you to examine yourself. And maybe there's some space where you've been unfaithful. Maybe it's a little thing where you're just slipping up in the last year with all that it's held. It's just felt easy to slip up in that thing you thought you'd got past. Maybe it's that thing where you're just kind of abandoning Jesus because it's just easier to do that than to have a hard conversation or to really figure out that question that I'm struggling with. And I just want to invite you right now to bring it to the table and receive the grace that Jesus has for you because even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so together we are going to share in the broken body of Christ and we're going to share in the cup of Christ. And so let's do that together. Grab your elements. And firstly, we're going to celebrate. We're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. And here's, here's what the word says. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> In the same way, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave him thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share in the broken and faithful body of Jesus together.
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's an act of faithfulness. So let's drink the cup and receive Christ together. Father, we confess to you that, God, we are not filled with faith and that in a year that's been hard, in a year that's been challenging, in a year that's been heartbreaking, there's been lots of moments where we've been faithless, where we've been unfaithful to you. God, whether it's in sin, whether it's in compromise, whatever it may be, we confess before you, Lord, that we've fallen short. We confess that to you, Jesus, right now. We lay it before you. And God, maybe it's something specific. And God, would we just lay that specific thing at your feet right now? Not general, not vague, but would we confess right now our sins before you, Jesus? Jesus, would we receive as we do that the sense of grace and peace because you are faithful to us even when we are faithless to you. God, would you allow us to receive your grace, your kindness, your mercy in this moment. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray that you would strengthen our faithfulness to you, Lord. We pray this in your precious, holy name. Amen. Amen.